Hey, Ryan. Yes, Andrew. Don't you just hate that casual shooter audience who only buys all the shitty fucking first-person shooters that are, like, super popular, like Battlefield, Call of Duty, and Gears of War? Fuck those guys. They're terrible. I bet they play CSGO so much they get a fucking medal. Yeah, fucking losers. Don't play anything else. Oh, my God, what have I become? Welcome back to the Explosion of Happiness podcast, episode number 58. It is November 22nd, 2016. I am your host, Ryan. And I'm your other host, Andrew. And in this weekly podcast, we talk about video games as well as things that have to do with video games, as well as make terrible, crass, evil jokes about some of the most disgusting things on the planet. And if that offends you, goodbye. <laughs> if it doesn't, we invite you to sit down and listen. If it offends you, I still invite you to sit down and listen because I get off to that. Why not? So you've been playing a lot of uh, first-person shooters lately. Oh. So like, yeah. Go figure, like two podcasts ago when I said I have no interest to buy any of these games that are coming out right now, and I probably won't, I ended up owning almost every single one of them. I mean, I bought Call of Duty willingly, and then my friend Michael gifted me Gears of War 4, and then uh, my friend Kevin gifted me Battlefield 1 on PC. And now I'm looking at this sale for Titanfall 2, which is only $30 at Walmart right now, and like 35 at Best Buy, thinking, fuck it, I should just go buy that and then just have an opinion on all the shooters this year. You're officially a basic bro. I know. I I kind of feel sick a little bit. I didn't buy, but I, I'm now actively playing all these AAA shooters that they say kind of ruin the video game industry. But I didn't really wish it on myself. It just kind of ended up that way. I just wanted to play Modern Warfare Remastered and... I guess now is a good point to bring up when I said last week that Infinite Warfare's campaign is one of, if not the best, I want to correct and say it's still one of the best, but it is definitely, definitely, definitely not the best campaign out of that series. Way too many scripted sequences. That's something that I always give a pass to Call of Duty, but when I say scripted sequences, I don't mean like, you know, quick time events. That stuff is fine with me in a Call of Duty game, but what really got to me was in between every mission you go back to your ship and you're walking in hallways basically interactive cutscenes playing out where you're just walking from place to place while characters are exchanging dialogue and after i finished the campaign once i immediately started it over again on the hardest difficulty uh and then the, the cutscenes really started to get to me the second time around because i probably could have finished that whole game in like three hours otherwise it took me about six but i feel like half that time was just me waiting for me to get to play the game that's a shame and then on top of that the game was also a cakewalk on the hardest difficulty, which hmm, I, I felt disappointing. Yeah, especially when I, I talked about the Mile High Club last podcast and how insanely difficult that is. And even compared to like the World War II Call of Duties, those games are masochistically difficult at points. And then Call of Duty 4 just had a couple segments that were really difficult. But it seems like everything after Modern Warfare 2, you could really tell that they were like making the campaigns just be interactive action movies because they didn't even hold up a challenge on the harder difficulties. But I did see there was a new difficulty they added to the game called Specialist, which involves health packs or something. I did not try that. But I don't know. Either way, I, I still thought Infinite Warfare had a good campaign. Just the second time playing through it didn't hold up as well, but I still recommend it. How was your last two weeks? They're fine. Okay. I'm doing okay. Did you do anything? I'm not drinking alcohol every night before bed. <laughs> no. I'm not, definitely not doing that. I watched the football game with my dad and grandpa yesterday. That was a lot of fun, but that's about the only exciting thing I did other than, you know, obviously Thanksgiving. I've just been, I beat uh, Bravely Second and 
Bravely second doesn't make you do the bullshit Bravely Default did. Okay. But despite that bullshit, I still feel like Bravely Default was a little bit better. I'd have to replay both games to figure out why I think that. But part of that, I believe, is this the story. I think they handled the story a little bit better in the first game. Even with the fucking dumb, dumb mechanic they make you do. But Bravely Default, I mean, Bravely Second, if you like Bravely Default, you're going to love Bravely Second. And if you don't want to deal with the bullshit of Bravely Default, I can still really recommend Bravely Second because the battle system is still a lot of fun. And that's the main reason why I kept playing the game. But after a while, it's like, especially like the end, a way they resolve a lot of the plots, I just do not care for the way they resolved it. Which bizarre is, to me, Bravely Second came out four months before Undertale in Japan. And the similarities between the two games, I feel, is incredibly striking. Not all of them are going to be obvious until the end of the game, but like even things like a big focus on character development and lighthearted humor and like friendship and all that is like very apparent even early on into the game, as well as a lot of the uh, you know fourth wall breaking, making the person playing the game just as much of a character as you know the rest of the audience and stuff. Like all that's there. And I just found it really weird that these two games came out like four months within each other. And they're like that similar. Do you think it's just a coincidence? It has to be a coincidence. I mean, fucking... I don't think four months would be enough time for anything to get hijacked and that would still be strange. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's it has to be a coincidence, which is what makes it so fucking weird. I really doubt fucking Fox knows... Maybe he knows Japanese, but even then, it's like... I really doubt he like totally ripped off the story he had for Undertale in four months. I think the much more likely scenario is that they're both inspired by the same thing. Like, they're both inspired by Earthbound, they're both inspired by, like, Eternal Darkness, stuff like that. But, yeah, overall, I really like Bravely Second. I like most of the new jobs they added. They're, they've continued to be clever about the turn-based battle system, and it's a lot of fun and enjoyable. There's a lot of extra things, like post-game stuff that I haven't really done yet, but I will eventually do. Um, <clears throat> I'm looking forward to Bravely Third. I really hope they do do a Bravely Third, and they kind of set it up a little bit at the end. Overall, uh, if you like turn-based Japanese RPGs, I highly re- recommend Bravely Second and Bravely Default. So, But I kind of rushed towards the end to beat Bravely Second because also Pokemon uh, Sun and Moon came out. So I've been playing that as well. And... Uh, I'm still very, very... I'm still on the first island. Well, I'm at the start of the second island, which is, like, very early on into the game. It's, like, the equivalent of beating, like, two gym leaders, maybe. Or one gym leader, even. I like a lot of the changes they made to the game. They've done a really good job of making the world seem like a Pokemon world, because you'll see caught Pokemon just wandering around all over the place, like, on the world map. People have pets out, like, they're fucking Pokemon are everywhere. And that's a really good job. It really makes the world seem like it's Pokemon. Like your mom has a pet Meowth that follows her everywhere. You go to like a farm and there's Taurus and the milk cows, whatever the fuck her name is, that are everywhere. They did a good job of making all the NPCs seem like really friendly and like you want to talk to people. The battle system's cool. I mean, no real drastic changes there. Pokemon refresh is dumb, but it basically means you get to like pet and feed all your Pokemon. Skinship. It's skinship. It is literally... What? How did that not get pulled? 
It is what? literally because you're petting animals. Why? Why would the censorers allow? No, they're okay with bestiality, but they're not okay with consensual <clears throat> man on woman. Could you also bonding. do man on man skinship? I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't care just as long as I keep it in the game. But that's fucked. Someone needs to send a letter to Nintendo. And it's great. It does a really good job of like bonding with your Pokemon, making you like your Pokemon until you get like a human type looking Pokemon, like a Machop. And then you start rubbing his dick for laughs, and then you realize what you're doing (laughs) (laughs) and how kind of fucked up that is. My main problem I have with Sun and Moon is two things. One, it really, it feels super on rails, like even more than a regular Pokemon game, because it feels like, I mean, it might just be the first island. Like I said, that's where I am is the first island at the end of the first island. Literally, it's like you, you can't go where you want. You try and go where you want. There's like a tourist blocking your way or a barricade's put up, or an NPC yells at you, hey, don't leave me, come this way. And it's like, every time you finish an objective, one of the NPCs is like, cool, let's go here now. And you have to go there. You can backtrack and, like, fuck around in the areas you've been, but there's no, like, side paths to explore. And you can't even figure out where to go on your own because you're constantly just being pulled forward. And that's pretty lame. I do not like that feeling. I kind of hope it goes away. And I'm not saying, like, previous Pokemon games... We're like the fucking paragon of open-endedness. I get the, those games were pretty on rails, too. This is just even more, or at least feels more on rails than those games because the game is outright telling you where to go with a fucking objective marker on the map. I don't really care for that. And it's kind of really fucking annoying. The other thing I have is um, this game's a lot, like, a lot slower, I think. Between your Pokemon having, like, feelings and personalities, uh, Pokemon Refresh offering pop-up at the end of most battles, a real, a still really high encounter rate from previous games, it just feels like this game fucking drags. Plus, they added this thing in combat called Call for Help, where if you're fighting a wild Pokemon, they can call for help, and another wild Pokemon will show up and help them. The thing is, like, it's not limited in any way, so the enemy can just sit there and fucking spam it, So what would have normally been one Zubat can go up to fucking seven goddamn Zubats in one encounter. And then as soon as the encounter ends, you take like two steps and another random encounter against another fucking Zubat happens. That is incredibly frustrating. But outside those two, and I feel like personally to me, they're kind of big complaints. But outside of those two, I think this might be one of the better Pokemon games, which is nice to see that they're actually improving the series. For the most part. Anyway, that's pretty much all I've been playing. I'll take your word for it. I haven't played a Pokemon game since Pearl and Diamond. Yeah, I feel like, in hindsight, I feel like Diamond and Pearl, even though they have some of my favorite Pokemon designs, I think Diamond and Pearl are kind of the perfect example of what was going wrong with Pokemon, which was they were becoming way too complacent. Yeah. Uh, Black and White kind of had that problem too, except I think Black and White did everything... Black and white and black and white two, especially black and white two, in my opinion, is the this is the basic what Pokemon is. We're not going to change anything, but it's going to be like the best of that, the best of the core Pokemon experience. Whereas in X and Y, they finally started to shake shit up. And now in Moon and Sun, they've really done it even more. Like there's no more gym battles, there's no more HMs. Instead of doing, instead of having like, uh, strength or a bicycle item find surf fly any of that stuff 
you get rideable Pokemon. The first one you get is a Taurus. So instead of getting Rock Smash and you having to break teach it to a Pokemon and break rocks to progress in certain areas, you now can call down a Taurus that you ride around and he'll charge through those rocks for you. I really like that because it visibly shows you riding around a Taurus. And it's nice. It makes it, again, feel more like it's a Pokemon world. It makes it more um, immersive. Also, you don't have to teach your fucking Pokemon team shitty HM moves. There's no reason to have an HM slave anymore, which is that amazing. Is, that is really nice. Yeah, that was one thing that kind of sucked. You're right. You'd, you, you'd have six Pokemon, but you really only have four and a half because you had to teach fucking six, seven HMs to everybody. Well, when I played through Red the very first time, I made the idiotic mistake of actually teaching those HMs to my actual Pokemon. And then pretty yeah. much every playthrough following that in every game in the series... I always realized that was incredibly dumb. Just catch a low-level Pokemon and make it your bitch. Especially with Red-Blue, because uh, in other games, you can get rid of those HM moves, and Red-Blue, they're stuck there forever. Yeah. And there's no breeding, so you couldn't get a second Charmander. So if you taught your Charmander cut, you're fucked. Or taught your main Pikachu Flash in yellow. Yep. They're going to have that for the rest of the fucking game. Forever. And ever. But yeah, that, that shit's gone, which is really fucking nice. And they've added a bunch of cute little side systems besides Pokemon Refresh and everything. So, uh, like I said, gym battles, they're called trials now. They're different enough from gym battles that I think it's its a good thing. What do you do then? So you go first, you have to fight the trial captain as a way to prove that you can take the trial. This is just like a regular trainer battle. But does and it then, actually involve like a battle system? Yeah. And then you go to their trial area, and then you have to navigate through a little dungeon or do a little, like, event or something. And then at the end, you have to fight the um, the totem Pokemon, who gets, like, a massive buff. So that's kind of like a boss fight. Okay. What's disappointing is I thought when I first learned about totem Pokemon that they were going to have, like, a shit ton of health. You can still kill them in, like, two hits. Okay, cool. You said it. the game moves at a slow pace, but you still think it's better than the last couple ones? When I played Pearl, mm-hmm. what really threw me off that game made me not want to play any following Pokemon games, despite all my friends at the time were hyping it through the roof, was just how slow everything was. Mostly just the text scrolling, but the interface, just everything. It felt like it just took way too fucking long to get through every little section of that game compared to the previous ones, and you're saying this new one's even slower? You can speed up the text scroll, but yes, this new one feels even slower. It feels I, slower because combat takes so much longer. I did turn up the scroll speed, and I like turned off like battle animations and stuff like that when I was playing Generation 4, and it was still too slow for me, so that kind of throws a dent in my interest. I feel like every four Pokemon generations is the right time to come back and give it another try, or I'll just go back and play Red or Yellow again for like the tenth time. Mm-hmm. I mean, but yeah, Pokemon's always been slow, and I just feel like at least right now, I'm getting the feeling that this is even slower than normal. And it wouldn't be that bad. I think all they need to do is, if they're smart, they'll patch the call for help bullshit, because that shit's bullshit right now. And also lower the encounter rate a little bit. It's fucking ridiculous. It's like you have to have repels on you. It's So many times, it's like two steps battle, two steps battle. And it's like, come on, I just want to get through this fucking cave. Leave me the fuck alone. I would, I guess I would ask questions, but I don't really feel like I need to because it's just more Pokemon, it sounds like. There's nothing about it that, like, just totally revolutionizes the formula. Like, I continue to hope every time they make one of these games. At its core, it's still, you're an 11-year-old kid. You get one of three fire, grass, or water starters. You go out and build a six-man team. 
and you could go to be the very best. The key difference is I feel like before it was like a gym battle and you were on your own. This time they're making it seem like you're very much part of like a little group. So it's kind of like the TV show where you're traveling with friends and they're making it seem more about like the journey and seeing everything instead of actually beating all the what were gym leaders now trials. Oh, and that's also another thing I really want to mention. Uh, team Skull is probably my second favorite uh, villain team in the game. Of course, number one is Team Rocket because Team Rocket's the best. But I feel like every other team after Team Rocket, they were trying to take it seriously. But the execution was really flawed. The writing was too ham-fisted. The characters were too dumb. So they were serious, but they seemed really idiotic. With Team Skull, I get the impression that they were like, every other time we try and write a villain team, they just come across as really fucking stupid. So screw it. We're going to make Team Skull really fucking stupid. And I find them very enjoyable for that reason. I think they're funny. They have like the street gang um, look to them. And they look absolutely stupid and ridiculous. And they sound absolutely stupid and ridiculous. And it's enjoyable. Good. I think that's probably what Sun and Moon does best, is it brings you into the Pokemon universe, and it kind of makes you feel like a kid again, even though you're fucking like 30 years old playing this bullshit. Let's be honest, well, at least half the people playing Pokemon now are in their 30s. Mm-hmm. But yes, the game is still very much um, enjoyable for kids. I played with my niece. I let my niece do the little skinship, you know, Pokemon refresh thing. You she, sick fuck. She petted my Growlithe, oh, and then I got into a random... Sick motherfucker. And then I got into a random encounter. Uh, my Growlithe started fi- fighting a, a Lilip, which is a little puppy dog. And she was like, oh, it's another puppy dog. I'm like, yeah. And see, when I push this button and this button, and then my Growlithe turned into a giant flaming wheel and crashed into the little puppy dog, and then the puppy dog fainted. She ran away crying because I made two dogs fight to the death. You are a sick fuck. <laughs> no, that's not a joke. She got really upset that the little puppy died. Well, good. She needs a taste <laughs> of reality. <laughs> Next, take her to an actual dog fight. I don't know where you'd find those in Seattle. But I'm, I'm sure they're somewhere. Yeah. Well, uh, on a subject of Pokemon, I've been playing more Pokemon Go again. Oh, there's a, there's, there's a very interesting thing happened yesterday. I, I don't know. In case you don't know, for the last couple of days, it's been double XP, double Stardust week or whatever. I've been taking that in. Uh, first of all, I got to say, I'm very pleased with the work Team Valor has been doing over the last month when the game stopped being ultra shitty. Everyone seemed to come back, and now all the blue gems around me are now red. There's almost no blue gems anywhere. I'm having a lot of trouble actually finding somewhere to go and battle people now because I guess everyone on Team Red just decided to come back and kick everybody's ass. Also, yesterday, there was a very interesting experience where... I pulled my car up into my little parking spot every day when I like come home from work. I just kind of sit in my car, contemplating life. I pull out my phone. I play some Pokemon Go, catch some Pokemon in the surrounding area. And there was this Pidgey, this very low-level one, that kept breaking out of Pokeballs that I was throwing at it. And I'd give it a berry to try to weaken it, and it keep breaking out. And I started throwing great balls, and it started breaking out of those. And I started going, what the fuck is going on? This Pidgey is broken out of eight of my fucking Pokeballs and great balls now. Now I'm throwing ultra balls at it. Eventually I caught it. And then the screen started to freak out and start getting all flashy. Like it was going into its evolution state. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Did I just catch like a demon thing or something? What the fuck? What the fuck? And then it transformed into a ditto. Oh, nice. That was, that was pretty sweet. It was a really awesome, neat little surprise. I think it's actually part of this little event they're doing it. They say you have a chance of finding a wild ditto out, but I didn't know it was actually going to be imitating other Pokemon. So when I caught that thing, it brought a little sunshine to my day. That, that's actually really cool. Yeah. 
It was. And also um, on the team red thing, I think the reason what happened was team blue was the only team dumb enough and pathetic enough to stick around playing Pokemon Go. So they got all the gyms. But then people started talking about it, and Team Red's like, no, we got to make sure that they understand that they're bitches. So they came back just to take back the gyms, and now they're no longer playing, just to prove a point. <laughs> sure seems that way. I've seen, like, one yellow gym total in, like, the last two weeks everywhere I've gone. Team Instinct, more like Team Extinct, am I right? Ha, ha, ha. That's okay. hilarious. I know, it is. It is hilarious. I put a lot of thought into that. You should write for Conan O'Brien. He should write for me. The show would be much better if he did. <laughs> I know, it would. While we're on the subject of Nintendo and Pokemon, I guess I'll just bring up this apparent Nintendo Switch rumored leak of launch games. Oh, perfect, because I, I have a rumored price. Oh, okay, cool. I, I don't really know. It sounds like this is coming from a Laura K. Dale who comes from sources like Polygon and all of these other sites I fucking hate. The uh, Switch lineup rumored to be on March 17th worldwide, day one, 3D Mario game, the one shown in the trailer, Mario Rabbids RPG, whatever that is, a Splatoon port, the Skyrim HD port, Just Dance 2017. And then within the first six months, it's rumored to be the Smash Brothers port, Zelda Breath of the Wild, Telltale's Guardians of the Galaxy, very near launch day, weekly episodes leading to the movie, Mario Kart 8 port, Xenoblade Chronicles X port, and a Mario Maker port. And then 2017, it's showing Pokemon Stars, Pikmin 4, which is now rumored to be a soft reboot of the series. And then in 2018, the most peculiar thing, Beyond Good and Evil, Naughty Direct Sequel, Semi-Reboot, Switch Exclusive. Huh. Which is, I think, exactly something that I called months ago that Nintendo would do. Nintendo would be the company to go and ask Ubisoft to make this game for them and exclusive for them. Yeah, that, um, yeah, I think that sounds smart. Uh, just from the exclusives, or not the just from the ports, because remember, I never owned a Wii U, so I'm totally glad they're putting a shit ton of their best ports on this system, and I hope they continue to do that. Uh, just from the ports alone and Breath of the Wild, I think I might get... Like, I want to get switched just with that. Where I'm going to be at at the time this console comes out in terms of money and free time, I have no fucking clue, but I would like to, I still would like to buy this thing. The 3D Mario game is probably going to be the biggest sale to me because I'm a yeah. huge sucker for 3D Mario games. Also, like, rumor has it that, that 3D Mario is supposed to be a return to form of the uh, Super Mario 64. Oh, God. A world, and you go into different worlds with objectives and stuff, supposedly. I've already got an erection. Yeah, that's definitely a. A style of game I really like between that and uh, Banjo and Kazooie, like those games. I I like really like that style of uh, 3D platformer. So do I. I hope there's a resurgence with mm-hmm. uh, like ukulele coming out because yeah, like Nintendo 64 and the PlayStation One. That was like the golden era for the because like even Spyro on the PlayStation, same model. So I yeah, a resurgence would be great. Sony's putting out the Crash Bandicoot trilogy to HD. Nintendo's got this new Mario game. Ukulele is coming out uh, on all kinds of platforms. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be other games of this style that are going to mm-hmm. be development. At least a lot of people have been asking for more games like these and like niche audiences. And if they're successful, then they might blow up again for yeah. Because I mean, these games were what about a little under 20 years ago, so it definitely makes sense because those people that played them when they were kids are now you know adults. They definitely have <laughs> like I these are the kinds of games that I like. Bring them back. Um. 
God, I sound stupid doing that. I'm a fucking moron. <laughs> anyway, if it makes you feel better, I think you're a stupid moron too. Oh, I think. Hey, wait. Um, what the fuck was it? I got it. Specifically, though, about Beyond Good and Evil, that's not going to be a good game. I'm putting money down on it right now. I think that's going to be a shit game. My reasoning is this. Back in 2003, when Beyond Good and Evil came out, it was unique. It still had that 3D platformer collectathon style, but its storyline and its main character was unique. I no longer think that that storyline and that main character is unique. I think it's been kind of beaten to the ground these past 13 years. Like, even Gears of War 4. Jesus, don't even, don't has, even go there. Yeah. Gears of War 4, even, from the sounds of it, has a lot of what... We're anti-establishment! Yeah! You have no idea how deep the rabbit hole goes. <laughs> Beyond Good and Evil has not aged well. Beyond Good and Evil has aged like a glass of milk. It's a 100% a product of its time. Even if they were to update Beyond Good and Evil 2 to be more modern, I still feel like the whole row, row, fight the power, down with the government, let's fight City Hall, <laughs> has been so... Beyond Good and Evil is no longer unique, and that's what it made it good, and it can't be unique anymore, so I really do think, unless they drastically change the game, but if they do that, why bother calling it Beyond Good and Evil anymore? So yeah, it's not going to. But I, well, it would probably I would expect it to be a totally different game. Yeah, it's it has to be a totally different game at this. It's been it's been sixteen years. Maybe a prequel, if not just a. Oh, a, I, Beyond Good and Evil has a total cliffhanger ending. I don't know who's to say. It's still it's still just a rumor. And it's, <clears throat> it's been rumored for what was it like an E three two thousand eight or something that Ubisoft showed a teaser for it or something like that, or was it just two screenshots, not even a trailer? I don't remember, but it was years and years ago. And nothing has come up about it. I'm sure once we get close to the release date, we'll start to get videos and stuff about it, more information. And maybe I'll go back on my opinion, but right now, knowing absolutely nothing, just what, having played the, the first game, yeah, I don't expect this to go anywhere. I expect it to be about as well-received as Mirror's Edge 2, which <clears> is a reminder, it came out and fucking nobody talked about it. Good. <laughs> and by the way, Mirror's Edge is another game that fucking 100% ripped off the Beyond Good and Evil style of game. Like, they're the same fucking game. Uh, Nintendo Switch, continuing rumors with that, a uh, website called gameseek.co.uk has put up a price for the Nintendo Switch. What makes this price point different than, say, Amazon, which often has, you know, placeholder prices listed? They have a pre-order price guarantee. Specifically, on the sidebar of their website, it says... With our pre-order price guarantee, you can order now, and if the GameSeek price increases between the time you place your order and the release date, you'll be charged the lower price. What that means that right now, the price of £198, or is that euros? I honestly do not know. I'm ignorant. I think that's the pound symbol. It's the like yeah. little fucking L with a line through it. <clears throat> What that is in uh, USD, which is the little S with the line through it, is $250, which is, for a brand new console, really fucking low. I was expecting 300 or 350 And I think this kind of falls in place with what Reggie said, where 
is going to be a lot cheaper than everybody thinks. I think this falls in place with also what Reggie said, that they're not going to sell at a loss, which sort of makes me worried about how strong and how big the battery life and how durable this thing's going to be. Let's just hope that they don't put out a cheap base model and then kill you with the need to buy tons of accessories. and. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm worried about, is that the Switch is just going to be the console and the controllers. And if you want that hook sync up charging station, it's going to be like an extra 150 250 I could see them doing that because especially if that charging station has, I mean, it doesn't look like it's big enough to, but if it somehow has its onboard hardware, yeah, the price, who knows? We, but for $250, I mean, plus all those ports I haven't gotten to play, plus that really nice looking Zelda game, kind of want to get it. I will probably just get Zelda on the Wii U. Yeah. Like I said, that 3D Mario game is what's going to get me. I'm very interested in it, knowing nothing about it as of now. So unless it you know, fucks it up with things like price and the fucking thing comes out, it's a piece of shit. It's a shitty battery life, which it probably will. Yeah. Are you planning to get it on, like, initial launch? No. Um, I'm definitely going to wait until... Because uh, Breath of the Wild isn't a release title. It's oh, coming yeah, out yeah. later, it sounds like. So I think that will give me enough of a window for there to be... A lot of uh, public opinion on how good the Switch is. For me, what's riding on is whether or not there's going to be like any sort of fatal errors with the hardware. Right. Part of that, too, though, is I bought a PlayStation 4 just to play the greatest game of all time called Bloodborne. If Breath of the Wild's good enough, I might just buy a Switch regardless. It just takes one. Honestly, God, it just takes one really fucking amazing title like Bloodborne. You get me to buy a console. Most of the time when I buy a console, it's always calculated, like, can I get at least three games? Am I getting my value? But honestly, what it always comes down to is if there's just one really good must-play game. Right, because that one really good, that's the one that nags at you that be like, dude, you got to get this. And then you reason with yourself, well, there's also these two other games, but the reality of it is it's just that one game. Correct. I mean, silver lining, I'm going to get the, you know, Final Fantasy 15 is a console exclusive at the moment, so... And I'm planning on getting that. I feel like I did a lot these last two weeks, but the truth is I did a whole lot of nothing. I still really want to hear your opinion on uh, Battlefield uh, 1. Okay, let's get to that. First of all, the most important thing that my my highlight of the last two weeks, it finally happened. That thing I set out to do almost, actually, yeah, 28 episodes ago, episode 30, was the first one. I came to this podcast all enthusiastically talking about how I started playing CSGO. I decided I was really going to dive into that game try to get the 2016 service medal and see how far it would take me and how good I'd get the game and how much I'd learn about it. And it took me pretty far and I learned a lot and I got pretty good at the game and I appreciated every aspect of it. Uh, I also fucking hate that game and I'm never going to play it again. And I'm done. I am retiring my high and mighty CSGO career. I know sounds of disappointment it- going off the room. I will not be going to any future esports competitions with Counter-Strike. Are are you are you just like tired of the game itself, or is it really just the community? Uh, I'm fatigued of the community and all the marketing bullshit surrounding it. How that game is monetized, specifically the monetized spray tags, is what did it for me. Yeah, that is. When I saw that, yeah. it's like okay, if I can't spray paint hentai on the side of the fucking walls or something like that, what's the point? And if I have to pay for this shit, even more so, what's the point? No one even uses it in the game. I've seen like one spray tag in the many weeks following the release of that shit. They're going to, they have to change that because paying for it fucking retarded, but paying for a limited supply of it. That is the dumbest shit. 
I feel like such a bitch when I say I don't want to play this game anymore because of the community, but it's not you, it's me in that sort of logic in the sense that I feel like I have just aged beyond the target demographic of this game. It's not for me, and I feel like I'm the, the weird old guy trying to fit in while playing it. I know that's not the truth. I know there are plenty of old people who play CSGO, but I just feel so out of place when I'm playing it. I come there just to concentrate on the game, and instead I end up having to put up with all the shitty attitudes and the bitching and snobbery. The very last match before I unlocked the medal and was done had a guy screaming and calling everyone niggers and pussies and faggots, and he accused me of being a hacker and him telling everyone to report me. So it was a really great send-off. It was the perfect way to end my long career of CSGO and go and seek out games where I don't have to listen to people talk. I figure if I ever get the crave to play Counter-Strike again, I'm just going to go back to CS Source. I'm not going to play it anytime soon just because I'm, I'm Counter-Strike out. I've been playing so much of it every week for the last fucking like half of the year now that I really just want nothing to do with it for a while. But eventually I'm probably going to go back to Counter-Strike Source and just see if any of the servers I remember playing Counter-Strike on are still up. I figure probably the older Counter-Strike fans are either going to be playing that or the original Counter-Strike 1.6. CSGO is full-blown millennial esports douchebag zone right now. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's I where you go if you want to get competitive. That's where you go, and that's kind of why I went there initially. It's like that's where the crowd of people are. It's active. It's lively. It's worth actually getting good at this game. But after playing it for so long, I just feel like I don't fucking care. The part of my life where the thought of potentially playing games competitively in like a tournament setting is behind me, and now I just play games to pass the time and enjoy myself. So I think Counter Strike Source is more for me than CS:GO. But anyway. To wash the taste of Counter-Strike out of my mouth, I immediately downloaded Ghost of the Shell First Assault because Nate and I were talking about this game called Combat Arms that he used to play. Have you ever heard of Combat Arms? Uh, Yes, but I have no idea what it's about. It's, just it, the name. it was one of the first free-to-play games. Uh, I remember it was out before free-to-play was really a widely popularized concept. It was uh, out, I think, around the same time as... I think it was out before Modern Warfare 2, but it was just a free-to-play game that was very similar to Call of Duty, and to my understanding, it was pretty well-liked for being a free-to-play shooter. I guess the U.S. servers got taken down, and it's still up in the EU, but not in the U.S. I don't know if it's the same people, but I do know Nexon put out this first-person shooter based on Ghost in the Shell, and I figured it looks like probably Combat Arms in a Ghost in the Shell skin, and upon playing it, it just feels like Call of Duty meets cyberpunk anime. And I think the only reason I'm really playing it is... Because as soon as I went in there after playing Counter-Strike Go for like half a year, I just started wiping the floor with everybody. I have the highest kill-death ratio in any first-person shooter I've ever played at that game. And it might partly have to do with the fact that the people playing it are consisting of people who maybe don't play shooters. They just like Ghost in the Shell. But it is the most bare-borns, straightforward, militaristic Call of Duty-like shooter I've ever seen in a free-to-play setting. And it's very simple. It's very straightforward. And I kind of like it because of <laughs> because of that. I also like Ghost of the Shell, so that just goes hand in hand for me. It's bringing me down from this Counter-Strike high. It's like my rehab from Counter-Strike. I'm just playing this much more casual first-person shooter on Steam right now and just kind of cooling off, shooting people, getting XP exploding in the screen and unlocking all these achievements and challenges and getting currency to spend on gun attachments and all this fucking bullshit. It feels good. So, yeah, I'm doing that to weed myself off of the the Counter-Strike angst. Really quick, uh, on the subject of Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. What do you think of the Ghost in the Shell movie that's coming out? The live-action one? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen the trailer yet. Uh, Honestly, the trailer doesn't look that bad, but you do know who's playing Major, right? Yeah. 
that right there is enough to kind of put the kibosh on this for me and be like, no. I, all I've seen is the original film. I've never seen any of the OVAs or the series or for some reason, just out of nowhere, I got Ghost in the Shell in my mind. It's not like a particular movie that I have a lot of affinity for. I just liked it. And for some reason, I'm just kind of paying attention to all this stuff about it right now. So your, your friend bought you... He started texting me while I was playing Ghost of the Shell, and he's like, I like Battlefield 1, but I wish I had people to play it with. And I was kind of lying to him when I said I would totally play it with you if I had it. That would be fun. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking I would not want to play that game because I have not liked Battlefield in years. And then I told him, you should play this Ghost of the Shell game with me. My friend was like, yeah, I don't really want to do free-to-play right now. And I told him, like, well, I don't really want to spend the money on Battlefield, but I'm sure it would be fun to play with you. So he just straight up bought it for me. And I'm like, well, great. How kind of him. Mm-hmm. Now I have to repay his kindness by playing Battlefield with him. If we had recorded this podcast a week ago, I probably would have just talked about how much I hated it. But the truth is, the game is actually starting to grow on me. That's good. Uh, it is straight up Battlefield 3. I don't care what anybody says. It's more Battlefield 3. Battlefield 4 was more Battlefield 3. Battlefield Hardline was more Battlefield 3. Battlefield 1 is more Battlefield 3. And I did not care much for Battlefield 3. I like Bad Company 2 more. I have been hoping they would make a Bad Company 3, but it seems like they're going to keep doing this formula of Battlefield 3 every two or three years, and Battlefield 1 is more of that any World War One skin. First of all, it does not invoke the feeling of World War One whatsoever, unless you count running around mindlessly with automatic rifles, spraying and praying everywhere as World War One combat. The one thing that they did get right, I would say that makes it feel like World War One is the mustard gas... Any class can uh, equip mustard gas and just throw it under the field. And when that happens nearby you, you got to hit the T key to slide your mask on. Otherwise, you die. And when you're wearing the mask, you can't aim down your iron sights. That's really the only big mechanic that I think they added to this game. And then the other big thing that I noticed from previous battlefields is that the tanks are absolutely OP as hell in this game, which is fitting. It's just in uh, Battlefield 3 and 4, you have the engineering class, which repairs vehicles, but it also has an RPG and then uh, the recon class would be able to call in artillery strikes. The assault class would have, you know, C4 grenades or whatever. I, I might be kind of confusing these. I don't know. Every Battlefield game kind of mixes up what each class does. But as far as I remember, every class had some sort of way to combat vehicles and tanks. In Battlefield 1, the only way you can take down tanks is with the assault class using anti-tank grenades, which means you have to get up really close to them and use teamwork to bring them down. And the tanks pretty much just destroy anybody else, anything else. They're really fucking powerful in this game. When you see a tank coming over the hill, it means fucking run. Other than that, there's not a lot of trench warfare. There's one game type called Operations, which is... It's like they straight up just took the Walker Assault mode from Battlefront and converted it into a World War One sort of thing where you're just attacking point after point, linear, one, two, and three. And when you're on the defensive side, you're pretty much in trenches just getting steamrolled by tanks and vehicles and fucking aircraft and stuff. And that really felt like World War One in the sense that we got our shit completely pushed in and it was fucking miserable. And I have not gone back to play that mode with my friend after that because it was just a goddamn fucking massacre. But <sighs> I guess all in all, like, I just... I don't like the recent iterations of Battlefield because it just feels like a gigantic tug-of-war match where, yes, you have an effect on how the battle plays up, but you have a very small effect. It's sort of the same reason I didn't really care for Overwatch. I just prefer the shooters where you can have more of an impact as an individual on the game 
those moments do happen in Battlefield. Two days ago, the last time I played it, I was a medic and I was a squad leader. And my squad was actually following my orders. And I was properly performing my role as a medic and reviving players as they were going for the objectives. And we just barely won and probably would not have won if I was not fulfilling that role. And it felt very awesome to do that. It was probably the best match I've played in this game so far. But 90% of the time, it's more like, okay, we're getting steamrolled. My whole team is standing in this corner doing nothing, holding no strategic point. They're not moving. I guess I'll go this way. Oh, I died. I guess I'll go this way. Oh, I died. Oh, my team is still in the corner. We're going to lose. That's like four out of five matches. And that's why I just don't really care for playing Battlefield. When you're playing it with your friends, you can formulate a strategy with them, or you can make light and humor of the situation. It's just a game I feel like is best used to just pass the time and not really get super competitive at, unless you've got a big group of people all playing it, at least a full party size of, I think, like five or six or something, enough to take up a whole squad. Um, It's just not that much fun of a game when you're playing solo. It gets gradually more fun when you're playing with others, and it's not the kind of shooter I really play, probably because I don't often play with other people. But the more I play it, the more it slowly grows on me. The more I learn the game, the better I get at it. It does feel more like Battlefront than a Battlefield game to me. I know in uh, like Battlefield 3 onwards, they integrated bullet drop, and they tried to make the bullets move more realistically, where you actually have to compensate for gravity and wind and stuff. But in this game, I don't know if it's just because they based it on World War One, but it seems like the bullets move really fucking slow, and you had to be really close to who you're shooting at to actually hit them on this... You're just a god at aiming. Playing it, I really felt like I'm playing fucking Battlefront again where the fucking lasers are moving like a snail's pace across the fucking map. And then when I played that Operations mode, I just talked about it. I'm like, I'm playing Walker Assault, except it's in Battlefield now. I'm just, I guess I'm just surprised that Battlefield 1 was received so well by so many people while like Battlefront was shit on by everybody. Warfare is like being ignored and shit. Yeah, and I, I would say Infinite Warfare probably did more for Call of Duty than Battlefield 1 did for Battlefield, but it's getting shit on a lot harder than Battlefield. The look and the sound of the game, the visual art and the the audio, the music and stuff is really, really well done. It's probably the best thing that DICE ever does. The best thing that you can ever expect from an EA game is for it to just have a really great production value. But other than that, it just plays like every other DICE shooter I've played the last five or six years. They're all pretty much the same goddamn thing. So I guess uh, in review, Battlefield 1, eh, it's okay. I like it more than I was expecting to. We'll just say that. That's good. All I'm playing right now is first-person shooters. It's just... It's I like, noticed, yeah. It's all I do when I don't want to commit to anything. I'll just go into a game, shoot some guys, watch some XP go up and feel good about myself and go about my day. That simple thrill of making somebody no longer alive in front of me. I have nothing to say to that, so... My brain has been turned to mush, and that's that's all I really derive pressure from. I got a fun little news story, too, before we close this out. Ubisoft, this is from GameIndustry.biz. Ubisoft says it will no longer sell DLC that gamers will need to fully enjoy their game. VP of Live Operations and Blondel Join told GameIndustry.biz that the publisher now looks to support its multiplayer games for between 5 and 10 years. In order to keep players engaged, the firm must be very careful when it comes to monetization. Ubisoft has enjoyed a lot of the success with Rainbow Six Siege, a shooter where the extra maps are being made available for free. Yep. So, neat. I do expect... Call of Duty and Battlefield will be the only two shooters to still do season passes requiring you to buy 
them to get the maps to mm-hmm. play on. But the only reason Ubisoft is doing it is because they can't keep a player base right. as their competitors. So, yeah. I, th- I think you're right. I think it will just be those two games or three games, you know, those two developers, EA and Activision. They'll continue to do that, and that's because their games have so many people playing them that it, they can milk them. They're saying it's like it's a general thing across all of their games that they publish mm-hmm. because every Assassin's Creed game they put out has its own multiplayer. Yes. That gets pretty much ditched and abandoned for the next year. I mean, I know they're talking about Rainbow Six Siege and The Division, but they're speaking in a future tense. They're speaking in a future tense, yes. So I, I'm imagining all new releases in like 2017 would be where this applies to. Does that mean they will not slap shitty multiplayer modes in single player games and just make multiplayer games because that's the best? No, way because to do Watch Dogs it? 2 has a shitty multiplayer. Oh, great. Okay, yeah, so they're full of shit. So what they're just saying is they're not going to release DLC because they wouldn't be able to sell it anyway, and they just fracture their community and piss their fans off, so they're trying to make themselves look better than they actually are. Yeah, I full, I, I really doubt this is actually going to go anywhere, but uh, nice sentiment. Jesus. Jesus? That dog. Yeah, she's been S- snoring this entire time. Sound, sounds like a garbage disposal right now. She's been, she hasn't moved for the last hour. She's just been laying there snoring. Yeah. Uh, me and my girlfriend watch dumb shit on Netflix when we're like cooking. Something that's background noise, but we don't really need to pay attention to. Lately, we've been watching uh, 72 Cutest Animals. Yeah. And when they talked about the koala, I'm like, <laughs> they said uh, the koala sleeps for 18 hours a day. And I'm like, I'm so jealous right now of a koala. I want to be a koala. I want to sleep for 18 hours a day. That sounds pretty great. I know. That's a life. I guess there's only one other the news stories that came out yesterday I thought was interesting. Um, the developers of Inside removed Denuvu. Uh, Denuvu. Denu- How do you pronounce Denuvu? Denuvu. Denuvu. Oh, I think that's it. Denuvu. Denuvu. Denuvo, Denuvo. I I might be wrong, but... I don't know why I'm having a hard time pronouncing this. Yes, the developers of Denuvo... Fuck! The Sony, or the Square Enix DRM, right? Denuvo... Day... Not even Wikipedia shows a pronunciation. God damn it. Denuvo. 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 I've heard it pronounced thousands of times by now. That's an overstatement. I've heard it pronounced enough that I shouldn't be having a problem knowing how to pronounce this. I think my brain just will not do it. De nuvo, 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 de nuvo. Fuck. De nuvo, de nuvo, de nuvo, de nuvo. There you go. That's it. Okay. Stop. 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 No, I gotta rehearse it. De nuvo. 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 Okay. Danny Glover. The developers of Inside removed De nuvo from their game. And I don't have a statement prepared to express how I feel about this. Uh, I do. Okay. I think this is a good thing. Yeah, I think it's a good thing too. Because the DRM already did its job. Yes. At this point, the game's been cracked. Leaving the DRM in for your paying customers, is just fucking over your paying customers. Now that the game's cracked, those who are going to play the cracked version can easily play the cracked version. Therefore, the DRM serves no logical purpose. It is now useless code. It's just useless baggage. So, get rid of it. I like that. I think more games should do that. Where, until 
have the DRM at launch. You know, it gets you more sales. Fine. You deserve to be paid. Whatever. But once it becomes useless, fucking get rid of it. So you're not hurting your paying customers. Thank you. Thank you for phrasing exactly what I wish I could. But for some reason, my brain isn't working right now. I like this. From now on, I'll just bring up news stories, and then you can just state my opinion for me. And no can, problem. Yes. On a personal note, I don't really mind developer, I mean, publishers, whatever, using De Nuvo. I understand the interest to protect the profits. Oh, my God. Why is my brain so fucking shitty this morning? I. You understand that at the end of the day, that they're a business and they need to I'm, make money. I would prefer developers and publishers not use De Nuvo. I understand why they use it. It does not particularly offend me that much. If the game functions poorly because of it, then it will suffer in the review because of that, and I will tell people not to buy it. If it's just got to be a practice where they just use it for like the first six months, and then they pull it later when interest in the game has died down and they don't care if it gets pirated, then please do that. Just take the DRM away eventually. Plus, I think uh, De Nuvo... I know I'm doing it. I'm plus I'm thinking the DRM developers, the people who actually make the DRM, this is in their same interest as well. Because if you say, let's say the period's nine months. After nine months, you pull the DRM out of the game. That means there's a lot less people that will actually be actively seeking cracks and a lot less people actively working to break the crack. We need your DRM is probably going to last longer. True. People might just be more patient. Exactly. And then on top of that, when you remove the DRM, that would also be a great time to put it on sale. Yes. Because then you fucking, then you like double dipping because all the people that'd be like, I'm not going to pay $60 for this game. But now if it's $20, they're like, well, I may as well now. I should get a job in marketing. Yep. All right. Do your thing. What's my thing? If you've listened to this podcast. Oh, yeah. If you've listened to this podcast or any of our podcasts, sincerely, thank you. This one really wasn't that offensive. It was actually kind of a nice callback to when we first started doing podcasts. Hug it out. Hug it out. And until next time, goodbye. Bye-bye. What are you doing? Is that a whoopee? whoopee I am farting directly into my mic. (laughs) (laughs) Your fart. Hey, you just played yourself because now you have to turn back around and talk into your mic, which means you're talking into your fart. My own gas right now. (laughs) It sounds exactly like a whoopee cushion. I I know. It was kind of just. I just want to be able to say I'm funny at that milestone where I have now farted into my mic. <laughs> I had to do something. This, this podcast is, has been too low energy. This is this has been how little of a shit we give. <laughs> oh my god. Also, I need to get a new chair because I don't know if you're aware of this, but I think your chair's aids has transferred through the re- the, the audio <laughs> recording and has transmitted to my chair because now I'm. You fucking hear this. It's like fucking. Yeah, I do hear it. It's driving myself fucking crazy. I can't. <laughs> no, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go get a dining room chair. Here, back.